Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to be here, part of another uh, good day that the Lord has given us, and an opportunity to um, praise the Lord and uh, worship together, to look into God's Word. Definitely uh, a feel for those that that come up here and and preach. It's a difficult thing to come in front of everyone and say, thus saith the Lord, a weighty thing. Uh, So let's, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you again, just for uh, your greatness, your loving kindness toward us. We thank you for all that you reveal to us in your word of truth. Uh, Lord, we thank you that that in your word that we have truth, we have all that we need for life and godliness. We have your uh, your mind on things, what you think. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we as we look through your word, that we would line up our thinking with your thinking, that our thoughts would be your thoughts, that we would, in in sense, have nothing nothing original that's of us, but that we would think as you do, uh, for your glory so that uh, you might increase and we might decrease. Uh, We thank you again for this time. We thank you for your word of truth. Pray now that as we we look into your word, that you would would challenge us, that you would work uh, through your spirit to help us to understand the things that are here that you would have for us. Pray that uh, you would work through your spirit to, uh, to make application of these truths, that we would think through uh, the implications of these truths, Lord, and I pray that uh, that has, has already has been prayed, Lord, that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers, that we would uh, make application to the things that you have for us. Uh, we thank you uh, that you are so good to us, that you have communicated to us uh, that which you would have us know. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we will be in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. And I think just by just by way of introduction, I, I've taught out of this this book before, and the main reason that I, I picked the book of Ephesians to to study through is because I wanted to to make sure that my thinking about the church was correct, that I had my thinking lined up with God's thinking about the church, that I had the the right concept of what uh, of what the church is. And that's, that's really what, what Paul is, is driving at here. And we'll just look at one verse and then continue on in a little introduction here. But really what Paul does in chapter 3, verse 1, is he starts off with he's about to pray. And then he interrupts his prayer and he breaks into basically a, a theological aside about the church. So he says this, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles... And then he breaks off with, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So he breaks off in uh, basically, again, a, a theological aside about what the church is, about doctrine of the church, about the, the mystery, and that will be developed throughout the passage. But it's, it's passages like this is why I originally came to this book, because I wanted to, again, make sure that my thinking about the, the importance of the church, of what the church is, uh, lines up with what God's uh, purpose and design for the church. 
again, that I, I think like he thinks, that my thoughts are, are his thoughts, that I line up with what my view of the church with what his view of the church is. And Ephesians uh, spends quite a bit of time, Paul spends quite a bit of time developing truths about the church. So I think it's, it's imperative for us that we have this, this proper understanding of what the church is. And again, the, the church is those that have been um, saved by grace through faith, right? That's who the church is, those that God saves. It is the, the individual's uh, the individual members, that's what makes up the church, that body. Uh, so it's imperative that we, we have this correct understanding of what God's purpose and design for the church is. Uh, do we see it as God sees it? Do we have the same view towards the members of the church that God has? Uh, do we have the same commitment to the church that God has? Um, do we see what his design and plan for the church is? You know, why... Did he establish the church? Why did he make the church? What is its purpose? What is our purpose? What does he want us to do? Uh, we know through the scriptures that it is God that it establishes the church. He, uh, you know, again, it's the church is made up of individuals that are saved uh, by grace through faith. We know that God equips each individual member for the church for a purpose of building up the church, for encouraging the church. That's God's work. Uh, we know that that Jesus died for the church. So we see the importance in the church in the fact that Jesus died so that the church could be established. So there's, there's all these things. And I was thinking, you know, I really wanted to get my, my thinking lined up with God's thinking on the church as, you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen just kind of the general uh, consensus about the church is not favorable among, among our nation, among, you know, politicians or, or whatever it may be. We saw uh, churches being shut down, churches uh, not reopening, uh, churches being told to close and, and closed, closing and those type of things. And so I was thinking through those things and, you know, I asked myself some questions uh, concerning the church and, and what do we do? What, what do we do when pressure comes? How do we see the church? What is our viewpoint when pressure comes? Is the church important? What do we do if we are told that we need to shut down again? What's God's viewpoint on that? Um, do we love the church like God does? Again, the, the individual members, uh, each, each individual person that God has placed here, right? Because again, it is his work. So I wanted to, to think through these things, and, and as we think through God's design and God's purpose of the church, you know, we're not going to answer all these questions. These are questions that, you know, some of which you'll have to answer yourself. They're not going to be answered in this passage, but we'll see what God's design and purpose, we'll see what God was doing, we'll see the, the, the mystery of His glorious work unfold in this passage, and we'll be able to answer some of those, those questions. Uh, again, questions of, you know, what do we do if we're told to, to close again? What is our commitment level? Uh, do, we, do we live in such a way that we arrange our schedules that we're not so busy that we can't be here? You know, there's, there's, those are questions we have to ask ourselves. Do we see it the way that God sees it? Uh, the author of this book, certainly we know what his viewpoint was on the church, right? He preached the gospel. He established his churches and uh, as he writes this book, he is in prison. 
for preaching the gospel. And he writes a book or multiple books, right? He wrote, there's a number of prison epistles. He wrote a number of books about the gospel. So he's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's in prison for going around telling people about the mystery of Christ in the church. And from prison, he writes about Christ in the church. So we know his, his viewpoint on the importance of the gospel, of the importance of the ministry that he was uh, called to by God. So as we look through it, I, I just want to have those things in our thinking, because that's how I was thinking through this, is, you know, where are we in our commitment to the church, our love for the church, our devotion to the church? Does it line up with what God's purposes are uh, for the church or in the church? Uh, before we read our text, I just wanted to develop a little bit of background to this text, and this is going to, we'll jump back into chapter 2. And we'll start with looking at the first uh, five verses, and I'll just read those. So chapter 2, the first five verses, we're going to look at just a few sections in chapter 2, because it's really going to build the context that he is, that he's working from. And the, the context uh, that we have from chapter 2 uh, is this, starting in verse 1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, you too all formerly lived in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace. You are saved. So that is really the the first part of the context that, that we have as he's developing this idea of the church. Uh, He deals with the the major problem that we have, our, our natural state that naturally we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are dead in sin. Uh, We are by nature children of wrath. And so that's the first problem that that Paul's going to deal with in unfolding that God deals with, right? We we remain dead in our trespasses and sins until God acts, right? We see that in that passage there. God did something. God worked uh, because we were dead. And, you know, the the word dead there, it's uh, the way that he uses it. It's not a confusing uh, terminology. It's without life. There is no spiritual life. We have no spiritual life. We have, uh, as Paul writes in, in Romans chapter chapter 3, there is no righteous, no, not one. Uh, there is no none that understands, right? It's, it's that idea of dead. There is no spiritual life until God acts and works in such a way that he brings to us spiritual life, that he opens our eyes to the truth, that he works in us through his spirit, that he gives us new life. So that's the first problem that Paul deals with um, that we have that God works in such a way to overcome. Uh, the second we see, if you, if you jump down to verse, verse 11, he's going to deal with a, a second problem that there is. And so uh, chapter 2, verse 11, here is the, the second problem that he deals with. Uh, Therefore, remember that you formerly, you Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is, which is uh, performed in the flesh by hands. 
Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promises, having no hope and without God in the world. So to quickly sum up what he says there, um, we are without Christ, without community, without promises, without hope, and without God. So there's a second major problem. Spiritually dead and... Uh, those that have all these withouts, right? He says we are without Christ, without community, without promise, without hope, without God. So uh, lost, uh, hopeless. Uh, that passage there in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, he talks about how we are strangers far off, we who are Gentiles. And so the second problem is that there is this conflict between Jews and Gentiles. And as we think back through the Old Testament and we can think through other, other sections, we can see that this, this conflict is, is very real. There's a, a separation there. And the separation, it's, it's some passage we see that it's exaggerated on uh, the way that they deal with it, but there's other passages that, that are clear from, from the law that God has made distinctions between the Jews and the Gentiles. So there's this there's this conflict, there's this enmity here that God is going to deal with. And then one last section uh, of Ephesians chapter 2, which offers the, basically the immediate context of what he is referring back to. And if you turn over to verse uh, 19 of Ephesians chapter 2, you'll see the, the immediate context that Paul is building off of. So Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So that's that's really the, the 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 concept that he's building off of. He starts to develop the the truths of the mystery. We can see that the mystery is this work of God in which He is establishing uh, a new thing. Right? There's a new foundation. There is new teaching, and it's God that is working on. It, and the new foundation is Christ, and it is a new structure that He is building, a new edifice that He is building. So in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3, we see that Paul starts off with, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then that's where he kind of he cuts off and goes into the aside. But the, the idea for this reason, he is going back to that work of God in which he is building something new, something, that's, uh, something that is different. It is a new temple. It has a, a new cornerstone. There's a new foundation and it's something new that he is building. So Paul starts to pray for the, the Ephesians, and then uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he, he breaks off, and he's going to develop for us what the, the mystery of Christ in the church is. And this, is a, this, this is actually what he does here. It's, it's a, there's a literary term for it, and it's a term that I, I quite like. It's, it's something that we see people do all the time, and it's called an anakuuthon. And it literally means like not marching together. So he's, and we do it all the time. It's like, we'll start a sentence and then we happen to think of something else. 
So we break off our sentence and we start a new sentence so they're not grammatically connected. Uh, Paul does that here, but uh, when we do it, it's, it's in our frailty and because we can't remember. When Paul does it here, he does it uh, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit because it is, uh, he is not finished developing the concept of the mystery and he wants them to know more about what this mystery is. So this is a, it's a, you know, it's a literary device that can be used. Uh, we tend to do it by mistake or, you know, because we get distracted or we come up with some other type of thinking. Uh, Paul does it here, and it's a literary vice to develop uh, the truths that he would want us to know. So as we walk through this text, uh, first we have uh, Paul's prayer there that he breaks off. And then we're going we're gonna to track with him, even though he breaks off, and we're going to track with him. And then he's going to deal with four foundational truths about the mystery. And then from there, there's three foundational truths about the ministry of the mystery. And uh, really, I think our, our focus this morning will be verses uh, 1 through 13 as we develop those, those various different truths. Uh, so let, let's uh, read through this passage really quick, and then we will, we will walk our way through it. So Ephesians uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. As it, is, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was, in accordance, this was in, in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through him in faith. Therefore, I ask you, do not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Again, just going back to, to verse 1, we have Paul begins with a prayer and we can see that it is a, it's a prayer when you get down to verse 14, where he picks it back up where he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father. So he starts the prayer breaks off. And then in verse 14, he picks the prayer back up. Uh, Paul refers to himself in verse one here as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you might expect that he could call himself a prisoner of, of Rome or a prisoner of Caesar but he refers to himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, he refers to himself in this way in chapter 4 of this book, also in uh, uh, Colossians, uh, 2 Timothy, Philemon. And it's because he has an understanding that he belongs to the Lord. 
He has an understanding that he is in prison for the proclamation of the gospel. And so he refers to himself in this way. And, it, and it's this imprisonment that he picks back up on in, in verse 14, where he tells them not to lose heart. So they could be discouraged because he's in prison, right? The church of Ephesus is a church that, that Paul established. He was with them for quite a long time. He was with them for a longer period than a lot of the other churches. Um, I don't recall right off. I think it was, it was at least three years. Uh, and he was with them for quite some time. And so they have a personal knowledge of him. They know him. Uh, you can read in Acts where he does not go back through to Ephesus, but he calls the elders to meet him. And he gives them some uh, basically last advice because he basically tells them he won't see them again. And they're, you know, they're quite uh, shaken by this as, as Luke, uh, Luke writes. And he gives them that, that information. And so he, as he writes this from prison, he's writing to those that basically have an idea that they're not going to see him again. And he reminds them that his imprisonment is for their good because it was because of the proclamation of the gospel to them, because he revealed to them the mystery, because of the, the great work that God did uh, through him. So that's kind of like the, 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 the bookends of the, of the prayer that he has. And as he gets into this prayer, he decides, again, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to break off and to establish these truths about uh, the mystery. So first we'll look at uh, four fundamental truths about the mystery our foundational truths about the mystery. And this is starting in verse, verse two. And the first thing that we see uh, verse two through four, uh, Paul's going to answer the question of how it was delivered. How was this mystery delivered? Uh, so we're going to look at the means, the means of how it was delivered. And just at, at this juncture, I just want to take a little, uh, little time it, to define what he means by mystery it gets developed throughout the text what it means, but I think a, a summation at this point in time uh, is helpful that way. Every time I say mystery, it's not like, what, what does that mean? It's, it gets developed throughout the text, so we'll, we'll take from what the text says, kind of compile a definition so that as we work through it, it'll make sense. So the, the mystery, and actually Tim, Tim kind of uh, hit on it when we were going into the, the, the song there. The mystery is that, is a, is a doctrinal truth that has previously not been revealed by God. Uh, specifically, this truth that he is dealing with here, this mystery he is dealing with here, as you look through the text, it says that God hid it in himself. So God kept it to himself in that sense. And so what God has hidden, nobody can mine out. So you're not going to find a clear teaching on the church in the Old Testament because it was hidden. God didn't reveal it. Uh, there's many different aspects and truths that, that tie into the, the mystery that he is talking about here. Uh, one of the other ones, and it's not directly mentioned in this passage, but we know that it is part of this, is uh, the incarnation, right? Uh, they knew the Messiah was coming. They knew that the Messiah would, would conquer. But the thing that they, they missed from the Old Testament is that the Messiah was truly God, truly man, that he was God in the flesh and that he would come and that he would die. So that is, that is part of this mystery, is the, the coming of Christ. That's why I say the mystery is Christ in the church. And all of this was done, and the, the, 
one of the things that was part of the plan of God is God used all of these things to build something new. And that new thing he builds is the church. So that's just a brief, a brief kind of look at what the mystery is. Something previously not revealed um, by God. So you cannot, cannot get there from the Old Testament. You get there because God gave revelation to Paul and to, as he says, uh, the prophets, the apostles, you know, during the New Testament time about the mystery. And that's, that's how we know what it is, because God hid it. God revealed it at the time that he saw fit as he was establishing it and building it. So again, we, we start with uh, the first thing here, um, the means of how God delivered this mystery. And Paul writes this in verse 2, If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery that I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So the, the mystery that he is referring to, he was given it by revelation. Uh, he was given it by God. It was given to him uh, by Christ. It was revealed also, he says, to, uh, he says it further down to the prophets and apostles. But it's a special ministry that, that Paul is commissioned to by God. And if you think about the, the life of Paul, you, from a human perspective, Paul is not the most likely candidate to spread the message of the church and to establish churches, to be a church builder. Because if, if you think of his, his life prior to the gospel ministry, he was a persecutor of the church, right? We, we read about this in the book of Acts, that he persecuted the church, that he had people thrown in, in prison, that he basically hunted down those that believe, those that were uh, what they called it at that time, those that were of the way. And he had them put in prison uh, for their faith. And one of the key things that, that you see in the book of Acts and you can you know, read about in some of other Paul, Paul's works is one of the key things is that the idea of the inclusion of the Gentiles, uh, the Jews really did not, did not like that. Uh, and that was one of the key sticking points that we see is the inclusion of the Gentiles. And that's going to be developed here through, through uh, this passage. And he, he deals with this back in uh, chapter 2 as well. So the means is a special commissioning of Paul, Paul who was the chief uh, opponent of the church, right, at the time. He was on the road to Damascus. He was seeking to get more Christians imprisoned, uh, more of the way. And as he was on the road to Damascus, we remember the story, right, he was, he was stopped in his tracks, uh, he was blinded, and he received uh, instruction uh, from the uh, risen, ascended Lord and commissioned to a special, a special ministry. And we see also that the, the means of delivering this, this message of the mystery is by revelation. And he says this in verse 3, that... By revelation, there was made known to me the mystery. 
So it was special information that was given to him. Again, the information that was hidden. Now Paul receives that information is given to him by God so that he might uh, preach. He's given that special charge, special uh, management, special position. He says that, you know, he calls it his stewardship of God's grace to proclaim uh, the message of this mystery. And again, it is a mystery of Christ in the church. That's what he's going to develop uh, throughout this passage. He does deal with this earlier in the book, and he refers back to that. He says, I wrote before uh, in brief, and I think when he's saying this, that he wrote before in brief, he's actually reflecting back to a previous portion that uh, he has he has written. So probably either directly what was in chapter two or in chapter one, he writes, uh, he writes this, he said, uh, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, him being Christ with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So in chapter one, that's verses nine and 10. That's the first time that he mentions uh, the mystery and so when he's referring back to a few, if you read what I wrote briefly before, you'll see that I have insight into the mystery, and now he's going to develop it here. So the means of bringing forward this mystery was through a spe- special commissioning uh, by God for Paul, by God's grace for the specific purpose of proclamation of the gospel and the establishing of churches. Uh, a message of Christ, a message of Christ, uh, truly God, truly man, uh, crucified, risen, and ascended. You know, that's all part of the message that Paul brought forth. And in that, there is the establishing of this new thing, and the new thing is the church. Uh, next, he, he really develops the the timing of it. And we see this in verse 5. And he says, uh, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy, uh, to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So the, the timing of it is, is when it was, when was it delivered? This is the timing. The timing is at this point in time, because again, it's a mystery. It was not previously revealed. It was not previously known and now it is being made known, and he says it's being known through uh, apostles and prophets. And uh, we certainly know uh, who he's talking about with the, with the apostles. We have uh, various writings uh, in the scriptures from the apostles. And then in reference to the, to the prophets here, this is most likely referring back to those prophets that we read about in the book of Acts. I'm sure you can think of some. Agabus is one. He's one of the prophets that's referred to in the book of Acts. And we also have um, Luke records for us in Acts chapter 13. Uh, he names he names a couple others that we might be familiar with. And he says this in Acts chapter uh, 13. Now there was at Antioch in the church that there were prophets and teachers uh, Barnabas and Simeon, who is called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, who had been brought up in the 
brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. So Luke writes that. So there's other prophets and there's other others uh, that brought forward this word. Uh, certainly the apostles, this was the message that they were, the apostles were given. So the timing of this was according to God's perfect timing. Uh, when God saw uh, fit to bring forward this message, it revolved around the perfect timing of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Again, that's uh, being truly God, truly man, uh, coming born of a virgin. So it all ties into that, that perfect timing of when he brought all these things together, the time that he would reveal the mystery and reveal all these things that, you know, basically at the same time when he was establishing the church. Uh, this passage here in that we just, we just looked at reminds me of, of what the, re, the writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 1, and he says this, uh, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portion in many ways, and these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. So we have uh, the writer of Hebrews reminding us that, you know, in the Old Testament you have God speaking in many different ways and many different uh, fashions. And we know some of those. We know some of the very unique ones, right? God spoke through a donkey. We know some of the unique ways that God spoke. Uh, But now we are in a time where God speaks through his son and those appointed by his son to bring forward the message of the truth of the gospel. So it's those apostles and prophets. That's how God speaks to us now through his word, uh, through those that Jesus appointed to bring forward his word. And so we now have uh, at this time, all that we need for life and godliness, because we've been given it uh, by God and his word and all that we need for how we are to conduct ourselves within the church. We're given all that information uh, within the scriptures. So I mentioned one of the one of the other events that that happened that uh, God calls it in the the fullness of time and, and again it's it's the incarnation it is that point in time where Jesus uh, truly God truly man uh, took on flesh and He says that is in the fullness of time it's when the time was just right is when God wanted to do it it's God orchestrating all the events throughout history uh, and you can there's I think there's volumes on what the fullness of time means, uh, you know, commentators and others have gone through and, and studied out all the events that are happening at that time, you know, how Rome was in control and all those things that entailed all the networks and the road systems and all those things. But ultimately it was because God is in control. He orchestrated all the events. And so in the fullness of time, he, Paul writes this in the book of Galatians, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those under the law, that he might receive the adoption of sons. So this was God's perfect timing in sending forth his son, uh, in revealing the mystery, again, the mystery of Christ in the church, this new thing that God is building, that God is putting together, that God is constructing that there is unity between Jews and Gentiles because that middle 
wall, that separating wall has been removed. And he, he says this back in chapter two. Uh, he says that the, the barrier between Jew and Gentile has been removed and it is those things within the, within the law. And so as all these things build, you'll see that's why he, he builds to, the, he builds to a, a point where he gives the purpose for all of it. And it's, he says it's so that God's manifold wisdom might be made known. So all of the church is building towards, towards that point so that God's wisdom will be magnified. Um, and he's, he's building towards that. We're looking at the various steps that he has taken in doing this. And, and you know, the first is calling the chief opponent to the, to the church and making him the chief proponent of the church. And then we see that he did it in his perfect timing, revealing uh, to whom he saw fit, giving the full details of the information that he wanted us to have. And next we will look into the, the content of the message. What specifically is this mystery? What is the specific message that he wants his readers to pick up on? And we find that in verse 6. So this answers the question, what is the, what is, what is the mystery entail? What is the content? So it answers that. So this is the content of the mystery. And to be specific, he says, uh, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, are fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promised in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the mystery is this Gentile inclusion. Um, and we'll look at some portions in, in Acts where this, this comes up. But again, he, he is queuing in on the, the, the content of what this mystery entails, and this mystery is Gentile inclusion. And if you look back to chapter 2, uh, verse 11 through 15, we'll see, just be reminded of some of the issues that he had to overcome, that God had to act to, to fix. And it says this in... Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 11, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace." So this is the new thing that he is doing. Um, by his death, through his blood, he has established peace. He has removed those portions of the law that stood as a barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And if, if you think from an from a Old Testament perspective, if you read through the law, it's, it's clear that uh, the Gentiles just did not have access, right? They were outsiders. They were strangers. The Jews had commandments on how they were supposed to treat them, how they were supposed to, you know, be loving towards them, how they were supposed to be a light, but they couldn't do the same. They couldn't do all the same uh, ceremonies of worship. They couldn't uh, follow in all the things that the Jews had done because they were a distinct people, right? The Jews were made a distinct people by God, uh, as as God called Abraham, he made them a distinct people group. And so even in the law, there was a distinction made between the two. 
and God has removed the barrier. And the way of removing this barrier, God in his great wisdom, through his law, he had established these barriers. And then in Christ, through his death, he removed the barrier because the law is fulfilled. The law is completed. Christ is the fulfillment of the law, right? He, if you look at the law, he is completely and totally righteous, right? The law has nothing to say against him because he is altogether righteous and holy. And in him, the dividing wall is, is broken. It's, it's removed. He abolished it. So there's no longer this conflict. So this is the mystery, right? From a, from an old Testament perspective, they had an idea. Yes. Gentiles can be included in certain senses, right? They had proselytes. They, we know of, uh, believers in the Old Testament, but to have this inclusion of Jew and Gentile together, they just did not see that. They did not see that coming because there was this barrier and the barrier was written in the law and it had to be removed and Christ removed it. So this is the new thing that has been made, a new thing, the church uh, that has been established again by his blood. What was in the way has been removed and, re- and remember what we looked at earlier in chapter two, it's when we're talking about Gentiles, we're talking about uh, those that are without Christ, without community, without promises, without hope, without God, strangers, foreigners, outsiders. So there's a, there's a big, there's a big problem when it comes to the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, uh, insurmountable from, from human perspective. But again, he's, he's building that. This is God's wisdom, right? God and his wisdom fixed this issue. It was his plan from the foundation to fix this, to remove this barrier, a barrier that was even within the law that he had given. Paul uses three different uh, compound words to kind of drive home the idea of, of this, uh, this unity, the unity that is possible in Christ, this unity that is only possible in Christ. And he uses, um, uh, you can find these in verse, uh, verse six. He says, fellow heirs, fellow members, uh, fellow partakers, uh, fellow heirs. Uh, all these are, these are compound words. Uh, some of which are, they're only found here. So it's, it's kind of one of those things Paul might've made it up at this, this point in time to drive home a point. It could have been something that people use that we just don't have a written record of, but, but regardless, this is the, the only record of, of, of these words, only usage that we have here. So fellow heirs. So we are fellow heirs and who are we fellow heirs with? And again, the, the, the idea of this mystery is this uniting of Jews and Gentiles in one new body, and that new body is the church. So it's taking those two that are separate and uniting into one body, one new thing that he is making. And we are uh, fellow heirs. And if you think about the concept of fellow heirs, he develops that in a, in a very uh, overwhelming way in chapter 1. And I can just sum it up with, you can read through chapter 1, chapter 1, verse uh, 3 to 14 is all one sentence. And Paul basically just explodes with the manifold blessings that we have in Christ. 
And, and, and there's one clear theme throughout the book of Ephesians that it is in Christ. All these things are possible in Christ. It is all about Christ in this book. It's all focusing on Christ. And that's what the church is. The church is all about Christ. In chapter 1, uh, just, a, just a, a quick summary. Uh, Blessed be the God uh, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So that's kind of a summation of what he goes through. He goes through and develops those things. He develops the fact that we are heirs with Christ. So when he's talking about fellow heirs, he's talking about really blessings that we can't even wrap our mind around because we have all these blessings in Christ and we are fellow heirs with Christ. Uh, Christ is the rightful uh, Lord and King of all, and we are heirs with him. Um, and a pretty amazing concept when you, when you walk through that passage in, in, uh, in the beginning of Ephesians that you know, not only are we, we enemies of God, but we are transformed by the work of God from en- enemies to, to children, right? We're, we're adopted and we're made heirs with his son. An amazing thing to, to wrap your head around, to think through, and I don't think, that, I don't think we can fully grasp it and understand it. Uh, the second concept he uses here are, is, uh, is fellow members, Again, the, the idea is that one body, that one new thing that he is making. Uh, this is one of the words that this is the only place that it, that it appears. Uh, Paul might have made it up just to basically emphasize the, the, the idea of unity, the idea of fellowship, of partnership. And so he might have made it up for this particular usage. And again, this is that, that new building, that new body that he is making, which is the church which is the place where Jews and Gentiles are united. One new body, the body of Christ. And this, this reflects back to a passage that we, um, that we already looked at. Um, that we, this is in chapter 2. So that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saint and are God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together in a dwelling of God in the spirit. So this is, this is God's work, right? This is God's work in making this new thing, the church um, in establishing this unity between Jews and Gentiles, uh, one new body, one new body that, glorifies him that uh, shows forth his, his great plan that shows forth his grace, his mercy, his uh, loving kindness. And as you read through this passage, you can see the, just the, the magnitude of God's loving kindness. And that's why we read through that Psalm to be thinking about God's loving kindness. This was all because of his loving kindness, all for his glory, all because of, uh, his, his great plan. So fellow, fellow members, that's fellow partners. There's that unity. And then the last one that he has, the last uh, compound word he has to describe this, this, this content of the mystery is uh, fellow partakers of the promise. 
And interestingly enough, it's as I study through this text, I think I kind of just glanced over that, that idea of fellow partakers of the promise. And as, and as I was looking through it this morning, I was thinking, I'm not even sure what that, what that actually means, where he's actually driving at there, because we see in the previous chapter that he's talking about uh, separated from the promises, uh, a whole series of promises. And here it's, he changes it over to a, to a singular of the promise and as I was thinking about it and thinking of some of the, the passages in, in Acts, I think that this, this promise that we see here is the, the promise of the giving of the Holy Spirit. We see that that was given uh, to, to the disciples in the upper room, that they had, prom- they had a promise of the Holy Spirit coming, the Comforter coming. Um, they received that promise on the day of Pentecost, and as, as we see the 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 church growing and unfolding in the book of Acts, we see that one of the things that, that is remarkable to uh, Peter and the others is that the Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit just as they did. So I think that's, what, that's where he's going here, but I just realized that I didn't figure out what that meant until this morning. So that's, that's kind of where I landed on that, is that the specific, the specific promise that he is referencing here. And all of these truths we see, all these truths are in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So it is the message of the gospel. It is the message of, uh, as he says in chapter 2, it is the message of transforming us from spiritual death to life. It is the message of tearing down the barrier between us. It is all of that all of that that Christ has done according to God's plan that makes it possible that we have this unity, that we are able to uh, be part of the new thing that God is building, the church, his body. I guess to, to maybe to... Um, to, to simplify the, what we have going on here, to, to simplify it and maybe sum it up, is uh, in the past, in the Old Testament, we have a, a clear distinction of Jew and Gentile. There's a clear, clear distinction. Uh, once we get into New Testament, the New Testament, we now get to this distinction that is, and this isn't, this isn't a word, but it, it, it helped me in putting this together, those that are the Christ ones. So those that are in Christ. Um, so that is the distinction. Those that are in Christ, now there is no longer a distinction of Jew and Gentile. There is just those that are in Christ. Uh, Christians, the ones in Christ. And so those old distinctions, they're done away with, they're erased. And in the church, we have one new uh, entity that God has created, one new edifice, one new body. It's, you, can, you can pick your metaphor for the church there. They're all throughout the scriptures, right? It's the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Uh, he says back in chapter 2, the temple, they're all what God is building. And all the metaphors about the church help us to understand what the church actually is, uh, what God has actually done, what the purpose of it is, right? The purpose is to show forth His wisdom, purpose is to glorify him. Uh, the purpose is to be a light to reflect him. So it's, you know, it's all of those things. And although those metaphors help us in understanding those things.
So let's look at a few um, a few passages in the, the book of Acts where we see kind of uh, early on where they're trying to deal with these these issues, the issues of how do we deal with Jews and Gentiles, where we see uh, the salvation of Gentiles. And uh, we'll look at a few of those, but I just wanted to take a quick uh, aside here um, and a reminder that that uh, membership in the church, that's, uh, that's a work of God, right? It is all those who have been saved uh, by grace through faith, uh, believers, we are automatically, because of that, uh, members of the church, right? And there's, there's really two, two churches that we, two, two descriptions of church that we read about in the Bible. Um, there is the, the local church, which is a geographical location where believers gather. And then we have the idea of the universal church, which is all believers throughout all time. And most of the time, the, the vast majority of the time that we read about the church, we are reading about the, the local church, right? These letters are written to the local church. They pass them out to other churches. But, you know, as we read through this passage, we are, we are talking about the universal church, right? We're talking about the church at large made up of all those who believe. But we're also dealing with the local church as Paul is writing this to the, to the local church and how that they... How they um, live in the light of these doctrinal truths. So that's just a, a little aside there and a, and a clarification that uh, church membership then is, it's a, it's a work of God. God plants people in a church. He saves people. He gifts people and they are members of the church. So when we kind of, I guess when we go through the, the process of church membership here, we are really going through a prop process of recognizing what God has actually done based on the testimony of an individual that they have been transformed from darkness to light, right? It's, that's what church membership is. We're recognizing what God has done because if you're in the church and you're saved, you're, in a sense, you're, you're a member there, and then we go through a process of basically recognizing that which God has, has done. All right, so over in, uh, we'll, I guess we'll close with these couple of passages here in the the book of Acts. Look at uh, Acts chapter 10 first, uh, starting in verse 28. And the the purpose of looking at these is again to to see the the tension that's there and to see uh, how it is removed again in Christ because of what Christ has done. So this is a this is Peter, and this is when Peter is uh, visiting Cornelius, which uh, for those of us who are, are Gentiles, one of the more important portions of Scripture, right? It's the salvation of a Gentile. And Peter says this to Cornelius, and he said to, he said to them, uh, uh, those gathered with Cornelius, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner, or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came to you without even raising any objections when I was sent for. So I ask you the reason you have sent me. And this is right before, right? uh, Peter sees that vision coming down of the unclean animals. And it happens three times. And he 
kind of gets what God is driving at. And then when he has this encounter with Cornelius, he fully understands. And if you jump down to verse 34, um, Peter, Peter, uh, or Luke records this of Peter. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So Cornelius believes along with those uh, with him. They receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter remarks that this is something that is new. Uh, this is something that is that is different. And he has an understanding that that distinction that existed is is removed. And in Acts chapter 15, uh, this is where they, they meet in Jerusalem to kind of deal with some of the issues that they're having in the early church and how to deal with Jewish and Gentile issues. And uh, Peter is going to give uh, an assessment here. And this is Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 6. Um, the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after they had much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now therefore... Why do you put God to the test and place upon the necks of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way as they are also. So Peter, as he's going on uh, in his ministry, he, he sees the erasure of this distinction. Again, that this, this concept of in Christ, that in Christ God is building uh, this new structure, this the church, a place where all are united in Christ uh, through faith. And we see that um, you know this is this actually the the context of this is where they're actually dealing with the idea of circumcision. That's that's what I was talking about with the tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. What do we do with the the Gentiles and circumcision. And uh, basically Paul develops that throughout the book of Galatians, that it is in Christ alone and you add nothing to it. Uh, Christ alone, faith alone. And there's nothing that is added to the gospel. There's nothing that can be done. And so that is, that is, that is, um, that is answering the question of the content of what the mystery is. And the mystery is full inclusion of the Gentiles in Christ into the new thing that God is building, what is the ch- which is the church. Well, I guess we will we will uh, pick up uh, more uh, this evening and finish off what He has for us. Uh, but so far, just by way of reminder, we've looked at. Um, these foundational truths about uh, the mystery, about God's work, about what God is doing. I looked at the 
uh, how it was delivered, the means by which he delivered it. It was revelation. It was his work. We looked at um, the timing, that it was according to his perfect timing by appointment of those that he placed in that position. Specifically, uh, Paul talks about his appointment to it. And then the content, and the content of the mystery is a full inclusion of the Gentiles and that God has removed. First, he has removed our sin, right? We are dead in sin. He has removed our sin. And secondly, he has removed that, the barrier that is between us. And again, the, the, the purpose that I had in all of this was to understand the church and to look at the church the way that God does. And we see that, that, that God has built something that is unique uh, for his glory, that the establishing of it uh, was only possible through the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. Again, that being truly man, truly God, only possible through his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It's only possible through that, and I, and I say ascension because that is when the, the Spirit comes. When He leaves, the Spirit comes. So we have the Spirit So through the ascension. So the church is this, this organism that God has built, that God sustains, that God has added the members to, that God has removed barriers. He has done all of these things. So we, we have the, the idea from this passage that the church is uh, this magnificent masterpiece of God that God has worked towards. And in it, as we, as we work further through and sum things up, we see that it is a marvelous display. Uh, he calls it a multifaceted or a manifold display of the wisdom of God. Uh, God in his wisdom has removed all of these obstacles, all of which was according to his plan, all of which was according to his, his purposes, all of which is only possible in Christ. And as we think through those things, again, what are, what, are the, what are the implications for us? Do we view the church as, as really as unique and special as we see God review, uh, um, thinks of it in this passage? Do we hold it with the same esteem are we as devoted to the church as, as God is? Are we as devoted to this structure that he is building as he is building as he is? Uh, we know from the, the scriptures that is, it is uh, a thing that he is building that the gates of hell will not prevail against. We know that he uses it as the, the light in the world. Uh, we know that each individual member is equipped for the building up of the church and this is this is what God is working at. So, so where are we in our thinking of what the of what the church is? Do we see it the same way that God does? Do we have uh, that same level of care? Uh, we see that God, in His goodness, in His mercy, in His loving kindness, has done so much in establishing the church. And do we see it uh, the way that He does? All right, let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your good word, your good word of truth that tells us about all the great things that you have done, that shows us so clearly your loving kindness. Lord, um, we know for those of, us, those of us here who believe, we know that it's, we believe because of your great work 
that you have transformed us from darkness to light, that you have given us spiritual life where there is spiritual death, and that you in your goodness, according to your plan for your glory, uh, to magnify yourself have made us part of this, this uh, unity of believers that uh, you are working at. Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to think on these things, help us to think how we as, as believers function within our church, the church that you are building, that you preserve, that you work in. Um, pray that uh, we would see it as you do that we would love it as you do, that uh, we would work in it in a way that is well-pleasing to you. Uh, we thank you again just for this time to, to come together to look at your word. We thank you for your, again, for your everlasting loving kindness toward us, Lord. Lord, you are so good. You are worthy of all our, of our affections and all of our praise. Uh, you are worthy that we... Uh, conduct ourselves in accordance with your word. I pray again that you would help us to be uh, doers of these things, and not just hearers, that we would uh, think on the implications of these, of these truths and that we would apply them. I pray that you would apply them to us through the work of your spirit. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.